Welcome back to the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. Whether you work for a team on the field, the ice, a court track, or a diamond, our association gives you an opportunity to grow. You're listening to episode number 12, Pandemic Immigration Issues for the Sports Industry, with your host, Allison Rich, President-Elect of the Sports Lawyers Association. Alongside Allison is John Feely, another member of the Sports Lawyers Association. Sit back and enjoy this episode of the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast on immigration for the sports industry during a pandemic. My name is Allison Rich. I'm the Senior Associate Director of Athletics at Princeton University, and I'm also on the Sports Lawyers Association Board of Directors. I'm very happy to be here with you today as the Sports Lawyers Association continues its podcast series designed to share information about current hot issues related to sports law, especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Everyone's quite busy these days, and we're talking a lot about the effects of the pandemic on sports. We'll dis- we discuss legal issues related to the health and safety of athletes, staff, and fans. We're looking at options for return to play. I know that's taking a lot of my days uh, and much, much more. But the one area that hasn't been as widely discussed is immigration. In our global society, we're all connected with people in areas affected by immigration law. We have international players. We have international coaches. There's competition all over the world. And this affects professional and amateur sports. It touches players, coaches, teams, leagues, students, and universities. And most of us don't work regularly with immigration law. So we thought this would be a good topic to share with you all. And who better to share it than our panelist, John Healy. John's the CEO and lead counsel at the Veeley Law Firm in Oklahoma. He's also a member of the Sports Lawyers Association, and we're thrilled to have him here with us today. So, John, welcome, and uh, say hello to our fans. <laughs> uh, Allison, uh, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's an honor. Um, I've been to the last 12 straight uh, SLA annual conferences, and I've spoken at 11 of them. This was going to be the first year that I didn't get a chance to speak. And um, I uh, was bummed about that. I'll always still kind of come down to Miami and, and see it. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm talking today about sports and immigration again with SLA. It's something very near and dear to my heart. We represent a lot of teams, players, and uh, governing bodies uh, to help them bring in players, coach, administrators from around the world. Immigration has, you know, been impacted by COVID-19 in a lot of ways that everybody kind of immediately thinks of. Um, our borders are closed. Um, certain countries can't come to the United States. Um, consulates are closed. And there's three major things uh, that impact it, three big areas. One is travel bans, right? So uh, right now there are bans from China, Iran, the UK, Ireland, and most of Europe. Um, so a lot of athletes would come from there, obviously. And not just for people that are from those countries, but for people who have been to those countries. So, you know, you may have been to China or Europe, and then find yourself in quarantine for two weeks, stuck at an airport or things like that. So that's that's one of the big issues. Uh, the other issue is uh, presidential proclamation and uh, the, the, the presidential proclamation that came out a couple of weeks ago and how that impacts it. And the third is consulate closures. So those are kind of the big things. Um, and that's what's been impacting our clients. And obviously that impacts the entirety of the sports world. Great. Well, that's really helpful. A great overview for us. But let's talk a little about some scenarios. Let's say we have a, an international athlete and his or her competitions are canceled. So they're in the United States. How does this impact the visa that they're on? 
Yeah, well, there's some general concepts, and then and a lot of it is going to be on case by case. So, is the season completely canceled? Right, is is the first question, or is it suspended? Right, and if the season is canceled, are the players still required to be there, um, doing off season things? Right, working out, even if not working out in in the gym, but working out at their home, like into someone that's been told to work at home, you know, in an office setting, uh, athletes may have to work at home to work out and stay fit because their seasons can come back on uh, at any time. We know baseball is struggling that. I mean, I, I'm a sports fan and I got to see uh, some Korean baseball this morning. And uh, although they played in empty stadiums with cutouts, it was real and it was live. And, uh, you know, I'd have to get up at five o'clock in the morning to continue to watch the dinos and those other teams. So um, for so for baseball players right now, they're still on contract. They're still being paid. Uh, so, you know, arguably they're still on their visa, right? It's, it's a little more complicated when the season's over, the league says you're done, you're not being paid and your, your, your obligations are done, you know? So in that sort of scenario, that's usually akin to the visas over, even though their expiration date may be down the road. And um, that's the scenario. In that scenario, you know, how is immigration going to look at is, is the situation there? So how is immigration going to look at this? So COVID-19 is new. Um, you know, the last time we had an epidemic like this might have been the Spanish influenza, influenza of 1918. And I don't know if there's anybody around who remembers how we did it and whether we would do it the same way anyway. So this is all new stuff to everybody, right? I mean, the, the whole world has been shut down. So immigration has made some statements. Uh, they, they put them on their uh, USCIS.gov um, website, and there's a couple of things. So there is some flexibility on how they're going to look at this. And, and most of it comes back to, um, is it based on COVID-19, right? And, and we're seeing across other industries, you know, where people are laid off or, or furloughed um, or unemployed that, you know, really need to be able to prove that that was the reason, that this is the reason it was. So, you know, we're, we're telling our employers, which in this instance would be leagues, governing body officials, teams, maybe tournaments, that the reason that they're not open is because of the coronavirus. Now, all of us would assume that's what's going on right now. But if it's not in writing and it's down the road, you know, say someone tries to extend their visa a couple of years from now and they say, OK, what was this period that you weren't working? Were you really out of status? How do you prove it two years down the road? So the, the key thing is to get some documentation to indicate that the reason that you're um, no longer um, working is because your season was canceled because of the coronavirus, right? So um, I'm not sure that all leagues and all officials and all teams are thinking it from an immigration perspective or even know that immigration is going to ask it this way. So what we caution is, is if you're the beneficiary or if you're the individual, make it your job to get you that stuff because you're going to be the one that's going to have to prove that you were in status down the road. Great. That's, that's very helpful. So let's say that the athlete is not, the visa is not ended. Maybe the, the, some competitions are canceled, but the season's not, not gotten rid of. Um, what if they're furloughed? What if they've lost some wages or wages are reduced? Can they apply mm -hmm. for employment while they're still here? It could. So the key here is two things, right? Number one, whether or not they violated the terms of the visa and therefore the visa is no longer valid, right? So it's an obvious cut if they're no longer employed, right? But it's not so obvious if they're furloughed. And again, I think that immigration will be um, 
sympathetic to that on a case by case basis is what they're saying and proving that it was because of COVID-19. So if, if you're being furloughed, even without pay, getting a letter from your team or league or competition that the reason you are is because of COVID-19 would be the first thing to do. Okay. That, that in there is, is the right thing. Now, the other one was, what if they reduce wages? Same thing, right? So what the visa petition is going to say, most athletes are on a P or an O, but in some instances, administrator might be on an H-1B and, and they're a little bit different. So the O and the P and the other visas don't have what they call a prevailing wage, which is a minimum wage, right? So they're going to look is, did they get paid the wages that they were supposed to get paid under the visa petition? And that's a much lower standard than the H-1B. And I'll talk about that in a second. So if it's, you know, kind of what it was going to be, or pretty close to what it was going to be, and it was because of the COVID virus, um, I don't think they'll be punished. If there are sticklers about it, then the company could make it up later if they say, look, we're going to give everybody a 25% discount um, or a 25% fee reduction. It's probably going to be okay, if, especially if it's above the board, especially across the board, and especially if it is going to be because of COVID-19. Uh, but that's a speculation, right? Now, to make it safer, um, maybe the team could make up for it a little bit later, right? And uh, with the PPP funds, um, which I don't think sports teams can probably get now under those new uh, rules that have come out about whether or not you know they have too much value. But under loans and stuff like that, maybe they can make it up for them at some point. But I'm not sure that that's 100% necessary. Um, on the H-1B, that's a little bit different animal. Now, Allison, you may be seeing H-1Bs in your athletic department um, you know, for either coaches or for trainers or um, you know, other people affiliated with the sports franchise. And the H-1B has a prevailing wage and the prevailing wage is a minimum wage. And if it drops below the prevailing wage, then the Department of Labor can get upset and, and then the company can get fined for that, right? And so we are dealing with this in a non-sports related deal where they were going to give 25% fee reduction to <clears throat> all the executives in the company. And um, what in the prevailing wage, there are different levels of wages. And this has never been an issue before, but it became an issue a couple of years ago level one through level four, right? And level one H-1Bs, entry-level H-1Bs were really frowned upon, right? But they were still within the prevailing wage. So in our instance, the employer the employee was getting a level two wage and the reduction put him into level one, but he was still above the prevailing wage. So we, we said, we think you're okay, company. You can go ahead and reduce him. He's still above the prevailing wage and you're not going to be in in, uh, in, in violation and, and he won't be out of status. So that's the instance there that, that I know I really got into the weeds, but that's how you would you might do that analysis um, uh, regarding uh, the reduction of wages. That makes sense. So track of that, they've got to make sure they have all their documentation. Does the same apply? What, what if they are looking to accept the stimulus check? Can they do that? They can accept a stimulus check in most instances. Okay, so the stimulus check is based on whether or not you're a resident under IRS um, rules, right? So a resident has a, a residency requirement. And so the residency requirement that would make any of these non-immigrant visas, which is again, the O, the P, the H-1B, the L, all of those can get it. Who can't get the stimulus check would be students, right? So F-1 students, even on OPT, can't get them. J-1 visas can't get them. People coming in here on B visas, right? B visas, maybe competitors coming in and, and competing in the WTA, or ATP or golf tournaments, if they're just coming in, they're not eligible um, either. But so if they're on a P or an O or an H or any of the other visas, if they are in the United States 30 days in 2020 
in 183 days, so it's a little over six months, in the last three years, then they would meet the residency requirement that IRS would um, give them a stimulus check. And accepting the stimulus check is okay because it's a benefit and not a public charge issue, right? So public charge is now an important word or phrase in immigration that wasn't really a couple of years ago. And it just, or even, I mean, just this year, they came up with a new new forms to ask if you've ever been a public charge. So if you receive a stimulus check, you're not a public charge. But if you get unemployment, you can't, you would be a public charge, but there's going to be an exemption for COVID-19. Okay. So what does that mean? So unemployment means you've been fired. Maybe you're not on your visa and you go down and you get some money and you're hanging out in the United States. Right. And, um, and then what that means is whenever you try to get your visa renewed. Now, if you lose your visa, you're going to have 60 days uh, extension uh, to try to get a new company to hire you. Um, and then you file that in time, and then they're going to say, are you a public charge? You got to fill all this stuff out. And you'll say, yes, I took unemployment, but it was because of COVID-19. So if you're laid off, make sure that get a letter that says COVID-19 and you'll be able to do that. So it's a little different than the stimulus check, right? Stimulus check. Okay. No problems. Um, COVID-19, uh, unemployment because of COVID-19. Okay. You're going to have to answer some questions on, uh, whether or not you're a public charge. And that is a lot more questions about that now starting this year than in years past. So if you ever think, oh, I never had to worry about that before. Well, things have changed even before COVID-19, but it's going to be okay, even though there was COVID-19. Right. So that's something like somebody accepting welfare benefits, things like that, that would make them a public charge now? That's right. But it's an exception if it's COVID-19 based, right? If it wasn't COVID-19 based, shouldn't do it, right? And that's either state or federal aid. And, um, you know, so that it's a really big deal. So if somebody has that question, really talk to an immigration attorney to make sure that you're going to be okay on that. We get these calls all the time right now, and they're, they're, there's no such thing as a dumb question when it comes to this. And, uh, you know, I tell you, on the stimulus thing, let me just talk about that, and you might be seeing this at Princeton. A lot of students, foreign students that have even gone back to their home countries are getting stimulus checks by mistake. I wondered about that, so I started looking at it. And the reason is that um, there is a, if you use TurboTax, the TurboTax, it's easy to make a mistake and file as a resident, right? And I think most of these don't do it on purpose, but there, there's two prongs of difficulty, right? So if you file as a resident, then U.S. thinks you're a resident and they're going to send this $1,200 check. Okay, that's great. You got an extra $1,200. However, um, they can come after you for penalties and interest and even fraud, right? And even if you didn't mean it. So um, there is, I know that uh, I've seen a couple of universities talk about how to give it back things like that. So you, you might you might think about that for your students if, if you haven't. Um, that's one of the reasons that it's happening. And it's happening a lot. And uh, there's um, there's been some articles out there about the stimulus checks ending up with people that shouldn't have gotten it and what they should do about it, right? So uh, that's a thing. Now, for athletes, they shouldn't get one. But if an athlete, right, came over on the B1, B2 visa, competed, thought that they needed to pay tax or needed to pay tax in the United States for their winnings or something like that and filed it and filed it incorrectly as a resident and they weren't, um, then they'll get the, the stimulus check and could be punished for that. So um, if that comes up with anybody listening to this, again, get with an immigration attorney. I'm glad to answer those questions if you want to come to me and we'll give that information later. But that's a that's a tricky scenario. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. So helpful to have those answers. Thank you. Let's shift gears a little bit. So now we've got somebody who's an international 
like they're here, things aren't, and they're still doing okay, but their visa is coming, coming up, it's going to be expiring soon, and their home country won't let them back in due to the pandemic. So this affect their ability to stay in the U.S.? Uh, it can, right? So um, immigration's being a little patient on that, but the first thing I would start, wa- start with is there are three times that there's uh, dates given to you in the visas process. One is when or if you file it with USCIS first, and that's typically what happens. Um, So you get a USCIS expiration date um, on a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And you take that eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. You can start working on it if you change your status. Say you came in as a visitor, changed it over to a P. You know, you interviewed, you tried out, you you got the job or picked up by the team. So that's your expiration date. Now, if you are out of the country, you'd have to go to a consulate. Or if you leave the country, you'd have to go to the consulate. And when you go to the consulate, then they scan um, a, a picture and a visa into your passport, right? People call that stamping. I got my passport stamped, right? On that has another expiration date. It can be the same, but it can be different, okay? Then the third date you get is when you enter the country. So you're coming in the airport, you get an I-94 number, Okay. Now they used to give you a little tiny green piece of paper, but they don't give it anymore. Right. But you can go to I-95, I-94.gov and find out what it is. And we always do that for our clients. Right. And the I-94 date may also be different than the visa date. So for example, you may have a visa date of May 6, 2020 today. Right. But your I-94 for whatever reason, may be July 6th, 2020. Right. That you actually have Two more months because the I-94 rules. So the first thing to find out is, am I really expiring? And you wouldn't believe how many times people are freaking out, thinking that they need to get their visa extension in when we look up their I-94 and find out that it's a later date. That can that can happen. So not knowing whether you're, when your visa is expiring and your I-94 expiring is the first step. But okay, so let's say that, that they're both expiring next week. What do you do? Well, the first thing to do is file an extension, and there is going to be some grace periods that USCIS is given for filing those late if there's a reason for that. And this has always been in the regs, that emergency uh, reasons that you weren't able to, uh, to file or leave would be the COVID virus has shut down my company or shut down my country. I can't leave and go to my country right now. So there's a way to do that. There is some... Um, existing law out there and USCIS is making announcements that they will be uh, to give some grace periods in that uh, to, to get that done. So if you overstay by say 60 days, you may be okay. 30 days, you may be okay. So those are the things that are going in and, and those may be extended, right? As, as, or if the coronavirus continues to, you know, go on. Well, it's good. It's good to hear that USCIS is still open and taking those appointments and and the requests for extensions because that would obviously that would make things a whole lot difficult if they more difficult if they weren't. But are there any borders right now that are closed due to the pandemic? Yes, I mean Canada and Mexico's borders are closed, um, so you know Canadians can't just get their visas at the borders right now. Um, they would have to, you know, go to USCIS for extensions again. Like you mentioned, USCIS is still open. The consulates are not and the borders are not. Um, so the border to Mexico and Canada, last time I checked, and I have to say that because these things change so often, um, <clears throat> was May 20th. I think that's still the date. I'm not sure 100%, but, uh, but it was at one point uh, due to reopen on May 20th. So yeah, the borders are closed right now. 
All right, well, shifting again a little bit, you talked about pres the presidential proclamation. So can you kind of remind our listeners a little bit about what, what the details of that were and then tell us how that impacts visas in the sports industry? Yeah, and let me back up a little bit on, on how that kind of came to be and a lot of confusion it caused, right? Um, because we got a lot of calls um, about this. So it started with a tweet that seemed to imply that all immigration was going to be shut down for some period. Then it was followed the next day by a, a, a meeting, right, a, a televised meeting by the president and his staff talking about what it was going to be. And then the next day, they put out the presidential proclamation. And what it ended up being, right, is um, now the word immigration is what I think sent the confusion. So immigration in a legal sense only means green card or green card holder. Right? An immigrant visa is a green card. A non-immigrant visa is the P's, the O's, the working visas, right? So most athletes come in on the non-immigrant visas, then they can migrate later to the immigrant visas or the green cards, right? So the, the, the proclamation was for immigrant visas uh, issued outside the United States, okay? And so what that meant in practicality is what was stopped were some of the employment-based green cards filed out of the country. So what that means is employment-based green cards filed inside the country are still permissible. You can file one today. And it wasn't all of the employment-based green cards outside the country. For example, the EB-5, which are for investors that invest over $900,000 into a U.S. company and create 10 jobs, those you can still do outside the country. In addition to that, the EB-2 National Interest Waiver, if approved by USCIS, can still be uh, filed outside the country and certain EB4 special visas. And those could be for diplomats, other other things like that. There's a special category of kind of miscellaneous ones that are all right. So what that means is extraordinary ability, which are a lot of the athletes, the really good ones, coaches, administrators. We do a lot of those. Those can't be filed outside the United States right now, but can in any of the you know labor certification process ones can't be right now. And international executives being transferred can't be if outside the country, but all of them can be inside the country. Now, it also precluded family-based um, except for married to U.S. citizens. So if an athlete, uh, coach, somebody part of the, uh, the team or university wants to bring their wife in or husband in, they can still do that outside the country. That didn't slow down, but can't bring your parents in, cousins, brothers, sisters, that sort of thing, right? So that's what that really is. Now, what does it mean with the consulates closed and stuff like that is if you're outside the country on a non-immigrant visa, um, you can't get back in, right? Now, that wasn't the presidential proclamation, but that means, you you know, that's the effect of it, right? So um, it's really difficult for teams that have players outside the country, especially if they're in those uh, travel band areas, trying to bring them back and if they need to go to a consulate. Um, so that's a case-by-case -case analysis that probably impacts teams more than anything else is can my player get in right now? What if they have to go home uh, for, for a moment? What do we do? And I just dealt with an NBA player on that issue just uh, two days ago, dying to go home and see their family. And you can't blame them. You know, NBA season's not playing right now. But, you know, are they going to be stuck out and not be able to get back in time for uh, camp when it opens? And will the NBA decide rather quickly that, hey, we're going to open and we're just going to play without fans like the Korean Baseball League did, right? And, how, and NBA has a lot of players, you know, that are from foreign countries. How many of them aren't in the U.S. right now? And would there be any difficulties there? Now, the one thing about the NBA is 
Um, they can make exceptions for emergency situations at the consulates. And, you know, I would assume the NBA would not be treated in the same way that a tourist is, right? Um, and might be able to use their um, some congressional help or administrative help to make an exception for a player to get back in. And those are the sort of things that we are uh, discussing. We have a major league baseball client um, that, that asked us about these things. And, uh, uh, we, you know, Major League Baseball, um, I don't know who would open first, Major League Baseball or NBA, but we have, a, we have clients in both. And, um, you know, we're sort of poised and ready for um, the scenario where, hey, we got, we got a player outside the country. Can we get him back in? I think on a case-by-case basis, you probably could, but it would, it would probably take some coordination with uh, a congressional uh, person or an administrative person. And there's liaisons for that. Um, it, it would be asking the, the strangest of requests, probably work out, but that'd be the process that I'd suggest. Okay. And do they still need an original signature if they're doing this processing for the visa? Well, the original signatures on visas, that's one of the things that they've lightened, right? So in, in years past, I mean, you know, I've done this 26 years, we were able to send out forms to clients who would then sign a power of attorney, sign the form, email it back. We'd then sign their name and send it out. And they said, nope, no more. You can't do that. Have to have original signatures. Now we can get copies of uh, signatures back and, and file uh, for the cases that are still, you know, in the U.S. Okay, great. And now you mentioned the immigrant visa or the green card. Is now a good time to file for that if somebody's in the country? Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, one of the best news in immigration, Allison, is that they've sped up what are called priority dates, right? Priority dates are these backlogs um, that uh, that a number of, uh, well, the whole, the whole world had backlogs for the EB-1 extraordinary ability visa. And that's a lot of a lot of those are used in the sports industry, right? We do a lot of players under the EB-1. And so just as of last month, um, that was about a year and three months back. So what they do is they look at the priority date, right? So the, the date it was filed, they would be processing cases of that date and before. And then that date last month was a year and three months ago. This month, it went current. And, and what that, why that's important is when, it, when that priority date is current, that means you can file the adjustment of status at the same time as you file the I-140. And what that means is in about, typically about four, say to six months, the, uh, the person that files it would get a travel document and a work authorization card, not just for themselves, but their spouses, right? And OVs do not have spouse work visas. And athletes are young and their wives and husbands are young, right? And they have to sit there and not be able to work. They can be in the United States, but that, that can be frustrating even if the athlete's making a lot of money. It's not always the money. It's about what do I do with myself, right? And they can't even volunteer, right? So, so having the ability for your spouse to be able to work um, is hugely valuable. And uh, that's one of those things that we can get a lot quicker. And with the good, um, you know, visas, you know, you could probably get one within a year. Now, premium processing is not available right now. That's the 15-day turnaround. Um, so you got to just go through the regular processing. But a, a good EB-1, I think you could say within a year, maybe arguably nine months. We've seen them as quick as four. But, um, you know, we never promised that. But it, it does happen from time to time. You get a really good one that just kind of sails through. So this is a great time to do green cards. And especially since a lot of the athletes are sitting on their hands and they're in the U.S. anyway. One of the problems we have with our athletes is during that period you file that adjustment of status, which you can now do concurrently with the I-140, is that they have to wait until they get the travel card or they or they abandon it, right? 
So this is a great time to file because you're stuck here anyway. And they can have that work and travel document and then then they can travel easily at that point. And, you know, with our Olympian athletes man, a lot of their competition is around the world, our tennis players, a lot of their competitions are around the world. So finding a, a window of four to six months is sometimes really hard. But so it's a good time to do it uh, for green cards. That's that's the interesting uh, positive immigration today. And there's not a lot. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it's, this is really helpful information. I mean, we're all, this is all new for all of us. And I think, you know, you're probably dealing with all first cases of first impression as well. And this is, this is unprecedented time and it's important to ask the question. So we're getting to the end of our time, but just real quick, you know, why, why are, why is it so important to ask the questions? What are some of the things that could happen if somebody doesn't ask the right questions? Well, that's a great question in itself, Allison. Thank you. Um, Problem is, is you could become a public charge and then be banned from getting an extension or a green card or anything like that. You could be out of status and be out of status too long um, and then be barred from coming to the United States. Um, You might miss the opportunity to file for a green card. You should have filed for it, right? I mean, you were stuck here anyway. Why not turn it into a plus? You've been thinking about it for years um, and you didn't know that these priority dates went current and those sort of things. You didn't take the stimulus check. You should have. Or you got a stimulus check you should have sent back. Um, you know, there's a million different tiny little things that, that you can mess up right now. And, uh, you know, um, immigration has been playing gotcha for a while. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of unforgiving about some things. We're seeing them being at least reasonable to a certain extent here. I wish that their um, determinations were more black and white um, instead of gray. And we'll look on it on a case by case basis because, you know, that, that can always hurt you and that we're not able to give the best advice if we don't know what they really mean. And, and that's not limited to immigration. We just saw that with the uh, paycheck, the PPP plan um, that a lot of a lot of uh, companies are, are being asked or, or told they, they should give back. Right. And while this is an immigration, it sort of ties in the same way. How is the government looking at the covid-19 situation? And um, it was really interesting and a little sports related because when the checks went out, they're supposed to go to small businesses, 500 or less employees. And, you know, what they really weren't intended to was to go to really wealthy companies that had access to the markets. But the Lakers got pulled into that. Right. Lakers, you know, is worth a lot. Right. And it's not public. You can't become a Laker shareholder. And it has, you know, the requisite number of employees. It has less than 500 employees. But, you know, should the Los Angeles Lakers have received the money that was really to keep the mom and pops open? And the answer was no. And then so what uh, what SBA just did, which is not, a, you know, different than what, you know, immigration does, is they they put out an FAQ, wasn't even a regulation, number 31, that says big companies that have access to public markets should give their money back. And then underneath that, it then talked about anybody that doesn't really need it. Um, could be determined can be determined uh, in an audit to have committed fraud and go to jail. <laughs> so then that's scary. We're getting that question all the time from our clients. It's like, do I have to give the money back? And the really weird thing about that is that these companies that are scared about it might give the money back and then they might just lay off people. And the whole intent of that money was to keep people employed by their employers as opposed to becoming completely dependent on a welfare check from the government. And then then once the coronavirus goes away, now their companies are dead, right? So here we had Congress making this quick decision without a lot of rules. And then they see 
somebody abusing the rules or what they perceive to be abusive of the rules. And then they make another rule that then, you know, is a wide net that captures a lot more people in it that weren't doing anything wrong. And that's kind of what we see a lot with immigration too, if that makes sense, right? Absolutely. The uh, punishment was w much bigger than the intended crime, right? So. Right. That's good, good advice. So I appreciate that and, and appreciate all of your expertise and appreciate that you're sharing with that, that with us today. I think we're at the end of our time here, um, but we appreciate you and, and the time you've given us. I'm going to recommend that if you don't want to get up at 5 a.m. that you use your DVR to record the Korean fall. <laughs> um, then you can fast forward through commercials too. <laughs> Yeah, not a bad idea. Not a but, bad idea. Uh, no, we're thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much uh, for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Allison. If anybody needs any help from me, onlinevisas.com. They can. We have a lot of information about this stuff. We do a lot of blogs, a lot of videos, um, YouTube channel, onlinevisas.com's YouTube channel, because um, I talk about this stuff almost every day. And I know what we just talked about was the tip of the iceberg. Um, but if anybody wants to contact me, go to the go to the website and just you know do a chat and we'll get in touch with them. All right. So for the Sports Lawyers Association, I, I want to thank everybody for listening. We appreciate your engagement. We hope this was helpful for you today and we hope you stay safe and healthy. We look forward to seeing you all again very soon. Take care. Thanks, Allison. Thanks for tuning in today. Feel free to share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Sports Lawyers or find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. And be sure to be on the lookout for more podcasts. 